The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. A warning that our first interview may be triggering for some. It deals with historic abuse. In 2021, my first guest made the incredibly tough and brave decision to go to the authorities and report historical abuse. It's now been a thousand days since she picked up the phone to report that crime. And in that time, she's wrestled with the decision itself, but also the incredibly long waiting period involved in reporting a crime and bringing someone to justice. She joins us today to tell us her story and has asked us to conceal her identity. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Pat. Thanks for having me on. Now, just to give us a sense of perspective, how long was it between the abuse and ultimately reporting the crime? So the abuse uh, spanned a few years when I was a child under 12 and I didn't report it till I was in my 40s. I'm sure you from time to time were preoccupied by what had happened to you as a child. But what prompted this decision in your 40s to make a report? I discovered in in the process of of making that call that it's actually quite common for survivors to be triggered when they have children themselves. And I have two children, and one of them is a is a girl, and she was around the same age as I was when I have the last recollection of the last abuse that took place. And um, her school was going through a, a safe and education program around um, looking after themselves. And it was an email that just came into my work in the middle of my working day. And I got this email and I was so proud and delighted that my daughter was going to get this um, necessary awareness program. And But it also triggered for me that I didn't have that back then. And it just prompted me then to uh, to, to pick up the, the phone and, and call the Gardaí. It had been kind of playing in my mind for a period of time prior to that. I, I mentioned in, in an article that I, I recently wrote in the Irish Times about the BBC podcast, uh, Where is George Gibney? And I found a lot of what some of those survivors had talked about in that article, I could in, in that podcast, I could relate to some of the the experiences that they had talked about. Um, the kind of things they talked about in reference to George Gibney, um, you had similar feelings, similar recollections. Obviously nothing to do with, with that case, but just the experiences of how they felt after being abused. Like, for example, one of them talked about um, getting their first kiss. Their first kiss was with the abuser and that was that was the same for me. The very first kiss, which should have been with a, a teenage sweetheart. Instead, it's with an abuser. Yeah. So you obviously were greatly taken by the George Gibney podcast on the BBC. You made notes of what they did, but you at that point did not do anything yourself. No, um, I think uh, there was probably months to six weeks of a gap between me listening to the podcast and then me getting the email from my daughter's primary school. And in that time, I had taken down some notes from the the George Gibney podcast and just because it was helpful for me to read back what the survivors had said and and I suppose I felt some kind of comfort that I wasn't alone in how I was feeling um but I did at the end of that podcast they mentioned the um the the helpline numbers for for the Garda confidential helpline so I did save that number and had it in my phone now, the, the whole nature of uh, abuse of a child is, is shrouded in secrecy and all sorts of uh, threats and cajoling are used to make sure the child does not speak. 
And that's what happens in most cases. They they feel guilty themselves. They don't know who to tell. They don't know how to tell. But as a, a an adult, a young adult, did you tell anybody? Did you confide along the way before you went to the Gardaí? Who yeah. did you tell? Um, when I was in college, um, I suppose when you're starting to experiment sexually and I was really struggling with that, um, I walked into the rape and sexual abuse centre in the, the county that I was in college in and um, reported it to them for the first time. And they were amazing. I was well, I was about 18, 19 at the, the time. Um, and they provided a um, brilliant support network uh, to me. Um, I've reached out to counselling um, many times um, throughout those 30 years and I'd have been lost without it, honestly. Um, the counselling provided to me has helped me get perspective and, and lessen the guilt that I had for many years about it. So that that was an initial healing process, I suppose, with the counsellors in college. But did you tell any of your family? Not until my 20s, I think. I was probably mid-20s, mid to late 20s. And um, the first person I told was um, a very close aunt of mine. And she was amazing and told me to to write everything down of what I was feeling that day after telling her and write down every detail of what I remembered. And little did I know how important it was to do that because I was able to then pass that on as evidence um, when I did finally report all these years later because I'd held on to that document. Because that document was at the, the closest written record to the contemporary abuse when you were a, a child. Did um, that relative suggest that you go to the Gardaí at that point? They didn't, to be fair. And I suppose, you know, I think that's become more encouraged now. But back then, it wasn't really um, something that was encouraged or considered. I don't think that's um, her fault. I mean, she's, I've, I mentioned that she's, she has since passed away. I just don't think it was something that she thought I would do. And also, it's not something that was attracting uh, all the publicity uh, and encouragement nowadays for such reporting, because we've had uh, so many scandals about uh, abuse in religious orders and so on, that it's we have a deeper understanding of how common this kind of uh, atrocity really is. So uh, time passes and you, uh, you mentioned you have a family. Did you share this experience of yours, these memories with your husband? Absolutely. And thankfully, he's been amazing support. And that's, you know, something that I I absolutely would encourage others to make sure that they have that support network before they go down um, this route, because there's generally fallout within your immediate family. I've, I've heard that from others as well. You know, people find it very, it's very uncomfortable for them. And a lot of my family have found it really challenging. So if I didn't have my husband and my close friends and my counsellor, I I don't know if I'd have been able to to stick with it. Now, at the beginning, I mentioned a thousand days have passed since that decision Mm. to report and and where we are now. And we'll talk about where we are in a moment or two. Um, But the actual process of reporting, what happens when you first make contact with the Gardaí? It's such... It's such a daunting um, thing to do to to make that initial call. And I spoke to a, a fellow survivor and they said to me, you know, that's that's the hardest thing that you'll do is is pick up that call and make that call. You've done that. And 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 I really appreciate that because it is it's not something easy that you you want to do, you know. Um, 
so I made the call and I have to say the, the Gardaí have been amazing. Um, they're very professional. Um, they treat you with respect. Um, but the big issue is that they're stretched. So you make the initial report, but how many interviews do you have? How, how detailed are those interviews? How daunting are those interviews? Yeah, so you had the initial call and then they followed up, I think, within 48 hours. And then I would think it was in within days, um, definitely not a month, definitely within a week, I think, that I had the actual formal face-to-face of giving my statement. And, you know, they they take the statement on your terms when it suits you. Um, they're hugely respectful and will work with you as to where you want to be to give that statement. Um, it's very detailed. Like I spent eleven hours um, in the in the facility um, where I was giving the statement, and it's you know it was broken out over two days, but it's still a, a large chunk of time. And remember, I'm I'm you know working full time with two young children. And the other thing is, of course, it doesn't happen in a guard station. You you don't have to walk in as if you forgot your driving license and have to show it behind the desk and then potentially be seen by people you know. It's actually done in privacy. It's really, really secretive and in a, in a discreet way, should I say. Um, and um, you're assigned, you know, you're asked, do you, do you want a, a male or, or female detective? And um, I chose a female detective and they've, they've been so respectful. Um, but as I said, the, the biggest difficulty is that I have to do all the, the following up. Like she, you know, they, they just don't have the resources. So they're not calling you every 50 days to let you know how the file is going? No, I don't think they've ever rang me off mm. their own bat. I think I've always had to ring them. So what happens then on foot of your statement? Because as we mentioned, it's historical abuse happening, uh, concluding more than 30 years before. Um, do they then uh, open a case file and start you know, chasing down perpetrators and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So they obviously, in my statement, I would reference a number of, of people um, that they then approach to um, ask, will they will they give a statement? Um, and thankfully, it's really helpful for me that, you know, I, I would have given a heads up to people that look they're likely to be um, receiving a call. And thankfully, everyone has been usually supportive, or should I say 90, 95% of them have. Um, and the Gardaí explained to you then that, you know, it's kind of out of my hands now. This is them just reporting a crime and the outcome is no longer within my control. And you have to accept that. And I think that's a big point to raise is that you are deciding to report it. And once you do that, you're handing it over to the Gardaí to take it the way that they want to take it. Yeah, we, we've often talked before on the programme about people who are involved in a case as a victim, but then their only role in the actual proceedings when it comes to trial is as a witness. Yes, exactly. And that like that was a bit of a, oh, OK, I kind of suppose thought this they're all, you know, working on my behalf, but they're really not. They're working on behalf of the state. So the, do you know where it's at at the moment? A thousand days have passed. Is it with the DPP? no. I, I'm still n- not quite sure where it's at at the moment. And even the, even the term, the DPP, like, Pat, you've worked in, in current affairs for, for many years. And I don't know, how, how would you describe the DPP? Like, to me, it seems like quite a, a faceless entity. So there's a person who would be the designated DPP, but it's an office. There'll be 
many officials in that office who have to review case files and then they make the recommendation, which I presume the DPP, him or herself on the day, will either say, yeah, I've looked at the file, um, you've recommended we go forward or you've recommended we don't go forward. The DPP would be the one who'd have the ultimate say on whether or not a prosecution takes place. Absolutely. And what I didn't realise is that all the state solicitors in each of the counties carry out work on behalf of the DPP. So this file is with the county state solicitor and typical small Ireland, it ended up being somebody I knew. So I had to ask for, I didn't actually have to ask, but I I checked and they had already realised the conflict of interest and had passed it on elsewhere. But like even things like that, you know, it's just, it's, it's challenging. Now, the, the question of how you feel about this, you really stuck your courage to the, the, the sticking place. You made the report. Who knows where it will end up, whether or not you will get vindication in a court case. But how do you feel having made that report? I don't regret it. I just, I had definitely had reservations before Christmas when I had done the calculations and realised I was heading towards the the thousand days. And then I came across another news story that was covered in, in January of a of a case of a survivor who her her key statement was that she had um it had kept her going through tough six years. Six years. And I was like, oh my God, I'm only two years into this, you know? And and I was glad that I heard her speak. Um, she spoke openly outside the court and it it gave me a, probably a moment of encouragement when I was at a low ebb and thinking, God, do I just need to give up on this now? Um, and I realised, no, I've, I've gone this far. I want to stick with it and whatever the outcome is, it will be. Um, I just want to make sure that I fight for myself as far as I can in this process and try and get justice for myself. In terms of what you've done, reporting it and so on, uh, has it liberated you in some way from uh, the, the captive memories of your past? I think that's probably a little bit ambitious. Um, maybe I'll feel different when it's I've come out the other side, whatever that is. Um, it's it's definitely made me feel like it's the right thing to do, but liberated, yeah, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. So uh, having gone through this experience a thousand days in and based on, you know, the other person's experience, you could be another thousand days waiting mm. for a, a decision. What changes would you like to see happen in the whole process? Definitely better resource, Garthy, because, you know, they're dealing with such sensitive, not only sensitive information, they're dealing with sensitive people. Like I would describe myself as a, a very strong, resilient person, but this takes its toll on your mental health and constantly having to advocate for yourself, constantly having to ring and check up and then try and get on with your life for a period of time. And then every now and then you go, oh, I better put in a call and see where we're at. So, you know, there has to be something that, you know, that there should be some process where they they are supposed to actively check in with the with the cases. I just don't know how many cases they're working on at any given time. Clearly, there are too many. Um, if you, Pat, have Minister Helen McEntee in in the near future, I'd love if you put it to her that, you know, it's important that they're encouraging people to report crime, which they absolutely should be. But is it right that when someone like me goes and reports it, should I be left waiting over a thousand days before it even gets 
to the DPP. Um, I don't think that's correct. Um, I would absolutely encourage survivors to report the crime because I believe in awareness and research and I do think it'll equip future change makers with key data so that, you know, hopefully it'll help them to improve the processes for for future survivors when they report that um, that they can be better supported. Um, and I think this whole conversation around what happens, I think there needs to be a, a better awareness campaign possibly from the Department of Justice around the actual step-by-step processes to make it a bit more palatable because it is such a daunting process. And as I said, things like the DPP, you know, it's, it's such a faceless entity. And I, I think it would be hugely beneficial for survivors if they had a, a better understanding of the step-by-step instructions um, that are shared um, in a more public way. You are given a document when you go in to, to make your statement, but that's not known to you until you've taken that leap. If you were to compare how you feel yourself now in that 1,000 days compared to the way you had, if you like, carried this with uh, help from your husband and those close to you uh, before that, um, would you say you're in a better place? I am in a place of satisfaction that I did it, um, but I'm still in a place of hope that it would be the right thing for me at the end of all this process. Mary, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Pat. And if you've been affected by anything in this story, you can contact the Samaritans on 116123 or 114 on 01662-4070. Some of the texts coming in, sending a hug to that lady. My dad was abused as a child and he died not knowing that I knew It makes me very sad. Another one. Thankfully, Childline is here now to help children disclose and discuss any abuse they are experiencing. Uh, That's from John. And by the way, the Childline number, 1-800-6666. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.